Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, may the words from my mouth, may the meditation on our hearts be acceptable in your sight this morning. Our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom that your word contains. The very breathed out words of God. But Lord, take that wisdom and make it part of our lives by changing our hearts. By making us to be more like your Son, our precious Lord Jesus. Do this now here among us in a miracle that happens when you work in your people. Do that work, miracle now in us, Lord, you right here amongst us. And we bow our hearts before you. We ask this in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn to the letter to Philemon. We're going to read it through. And then we're going to see what the Lord has for us this morning. So if you could turn there, please. Just while you do so, I'll sing your song. I'm serious. There's an old slaving song, and I want to call it a, a song of Onesimus, who was a slave. We're going to be speaking about him. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me, over me. And before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. They'll be singing, they'll be singing, They'll be singing over me, over me. Even though I was a slave, I lie buried in my grave. But I'm home with my Lord, and I'm free. Beautiful old song, isn't it? Well, that's the song of Onesimus just for today. We're going to be reading through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a man called Philemon in the church at Colossae. And I'm sure you've done your homework and you've read through the letter already. So I will read it again. And I want you just to close your eyes. It's really nothing new I'm going to do. I'm just reading it in a slightly more modern version. I want you to hear the letter. Hear the letter. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Appia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith 
as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I want to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back for, forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Like Paul's human. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Did you hear the letter? Because that's what it is. Not just a Bible book. It was a letter from Paul to Philemon. And this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon is a, serves as a model of Christian compassion to you and I today. And in a way, it parallels Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, right? Onesimus had run away, and now Paul was sending him back to his master Philemon. Isn't that what the gospel is in a nutshell? We who were far away are brought near again because of what God does in us. And so this letter speaks of failure, speaks of intercession, returning, forgiveness, restoration. You see, getting relationships straight is just as important as getting, the as getting our doctrine straight. I'll repeat that. Getting relationships straight is just as important as getting our doctrine straight. One is not more important than the other. They both are as important. If we're genuine disciples of the Lord, 
then we must relate to our fellow brothers and sisters with grace, forgiveness, and encouragement. That's what this letter is about. And so in short, because we're doing Philemon in one sermon, Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, and he writes to Philemon, who is in the city of Colossae. And we've just studied the book of Colossians, so we know all that background, right? I'm not going there again. So this letter was written in approximately 60 to 62 AD. And this letter was then written and sent back to Colossae with two messengers, Tychicus and Onesimus, the slave himself. And this journey would have taken many weeks and they would have had to face many dangers en route. It's addressed to Philemon. Who was Philemon? He was a leader in the church at Colossae. He seems to have done some preaching in the church, but it doesn't say he was the main preacher. But he was a leader in the church. He was a very wealthy businessman. He owned a large home, and the church at Colossae met in his home. Churches didn't have their own buildings for quite a few years when, church, when the churches started in the Roman Empire. And so there the church of Colossae was in his home as a home church. He was, wealth, he was wealthy, so he could own quite a few slaves, and Onesimus seems to have been one of his slaves. And Philemon himself, as Paul reminds him eloquently, was brought to the Lord by Paul. So Philemon came to the Lord under Paul's leadership. And it also seems through this letter that Philemon had been a great source of personal comfort to Paul, whether he'd sent parcels to Paul for comfort, who knows, but he'd been a personal source of comfort to Paul. Who was Appia? He addresses the letter to Appia too. Appia was Philemon's wife, easy. And so she helped with the church in their home. She was a co-worker with Philemon as they served the Lord together. And then Archippus, this is a family affair. Archippus was Philemon's son in the same home church. And he seems to have been the one who was the relief pastor for the church. So they were father, son, and mother, all serving the Lord from their home in the church in Colossae. We've seen that this is a personal letter. It's addressed to Philemon, one of three personal letters that Paul writes away to individuals. The others to Timothy and the other one to Titus. But he addresses a very specific thing with Philemon. He addresses this whole matter of this runaway slave that he is sending back with the letter to Philemon. What must Philemon do with Onesimus? Onesimus, Onesimus' name means useful. But at this stage he hadn't proved that useful, had he? From his master and he'd run away to Rome. But see the Lord's greater plan. Onesimus had run away to Rome, and under Roman law, slaves had no legal rights at all. And so if it was up to Philemon, Philemon could naturally, as a natural reaction, keep to his rights as a Roman citizen. And when Onesimus came to him, he could have him flogged for theft. He could have him sold off again for theft thieving from him. Because he'd run away, the death sentence hung over Onesimus. Do you see how serious it was? You see, slaves were just chattels. And that's what the Roman law said. 
So what's Paul's advice to Philemon? He says to Philemon, Philemon, are we always to keep to our rights? Did Christ keep to his rights? You see, Paul has been writing to them about Christ and what Christ has been doing. And Philemon would have heard the letter to the Colossians too. Did Christ keep his rights when he was arrested? Did Christ keep his rights when he was later sentenced to death? What was Christ demonstrating to the church? He was demonstrating Christ-like love, which pushes your rights aside for the sake of a brother or a sister in Christ. And Paul expands on that in quite a few of his other letters. So when you read those words, I heard a few of you giggling there. Was Paul buttering up Philemon a little bit just to get him to do what he wants him to do? Reminding him, hey, I brought you to the Lord. Now do what I ask. No. He was rather reminding Philemon of what radical Christ-like loves look like. What is the standard of righteousness? And he's reminding you and I too as we look at this letter this morning. What is the standard of righteousness the Lord calls us to when it comes to Christ-like love? In his church. You'll note that Paul doesn't command Philemon to obey him, even though he reminds him that he could. Why? Because Paul was an apostle. An apostle had authority given to him and people had to listen. So Paul could have commanded Philemon to obey him, but he doesn't. What does he do? He urges Philemon to do what's right before the Lord. Do you see the difference? Every person, you and I, have personal responsibility before God. That's what he's highlighting here. And so, a last bit of the background. It's a public letter too. It's not just addressed to Philemon. It's supposed to be read out to the churches. So, we, someone writes you a letter and then it's read out to everyone. That's what Paul was doing here. But he was writing to Philemon about a matter that he wanted Philemon to be held to account for. And the church would do that. So it was read to the churches, not just for that, but to teach the church about Christ-like love. So you and I about Christ-like love. And so what's the main point of his letter to him? And I'll sum it up right at the beginning. It's this. He's saying to Philemon, Philemon, be reconciled to Onesimus. Philemon, forgive Onesimus and treat Onesimus as your brother, please. So let's look at how this Christ-like love works. And I want you to follow with me. I've put it in a diagram for you, like any good PowerPoint. So let's see what we can learn about Christ-like love. How should Christian love work? You see, Christian love encompasses the will. It encompasses choice, self-sacrifice, humility, and it's proof of genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is one characteristic of Christ-like love? It's this. Christ-like love is grateful for the best in others. Look at verses 4 to 7. Christ-like love is grateful for the best in others. You see, Paul says in verses 4 to 7 that he's constantly been praying for Philemon. Why? Because he loves him in the Lord. He's his brother in the Lord. And he's grateful to the Lord for Philemon's demonstrated love of Christ to these fellow believers. What had Philemon been doing? He'd been taking these believers into his home. He'd opened his home to the church, and the church was gathering in his house. If you've ever hosted a meeting of people getting together in your house, 
What is it? It's hard work, right? But it pays off because of that interaction you can have. But it's real hard work in the background. And this was happening week by week. Those of you who have been involved in church plants, you get together in those, it used to be school um, classrooms or school halls, and then you have to put up the speakers and put out the chairs, and oh, I've been through it three times. And it's big schlep. But it's worth it, right? Because we can get together and worship the Lord. Well, Philemon and his wife, every single week, they'd have people in their home. And not just that, as Christian workers came through Colossae, he would take them in and look after them. He was demonstrating this love for Jesus Christ. And not just that, Paul says, he was praying for his fellow believers. He said Philemon had been one who was always praying for his fellow believers. And what did we learn in Colossians? That means the word struggling for in prayer. Like Epaphras, always struggling in prayer for his believers. And we saw that that meant hand-to-hand combat on behalf of your fellow brother or sister in Christ. That's what real Christ-like love is about. It's thanking God for them and, and who they are. And it's not just that. Paul says here that he keeps asking God to help him share his faith effectively. Oh, what a prayer. Imagine if you could pray for someone that, Lord, help them, help Mark to share his faith effectively every week. And imagine if they were praying that for you. Lord, help Calvin to share his faith effectively every week. What a difference would it make in our churches? People praying for us. We are praying for people. We're wrestling in hand-to-hand combat before the Lord for them. You see, we are grateful for the best in others. And what will the result be? What was the result in Paul? He says, it filled me with joy, Philemon. When I hear what you do for the Lord, how you look after the saints, it fills me with joy. It does something for us when we think about others and what they're doing for the Lord. It fills us with joy when we see how God is using other believers successfully. You see, joy is the opposite of envy. Instead of becoming jealous when you see someone else being used by the Lord, it fills you with joy because I've been praying for them. Paul says Philemon had refreshed the hearts of the saints. And so it brings Paul joy and comfort. Tell me, my brother and sister in Christ, when you look around you, and please look around you, does it fill you with joy as you see the people around you? And are you grateful to God for the best you see in them? That's love. Secondly, Love seeks the welfare of others, verse 10. Stay here. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, and then in verse 17 as well. We'll look at that now. You see, what is Paul doing here? He's batting for Onesimus, if I can use a cricket term. He's coming in on Onesimus' behalf before Philemon. He's pleading with Philemon to see the slave Onesimus and to see him as a brother in Christ. The Christian knees word for that is he's interceding for him. Paul is interceding for Onesimus before Philemon. Where does Paul learn all this stuff? 
who interceded for Paul? Christ intercedes for Paul before the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ intercedes before the Father for you and I as well. And so real Christian love will, will go out on a limb for someone else. It will risk yourself for someone else. It will seek the welfare of someone else. It will be the support person in, in our speak today. It will be the mouthpiece for someone when the situation demands it. If they ask you to come with them, it will seek the welfare of someone else. Where do we see this in the Old Testament? Moses, Israel, golden calf. Remember Deuteronomy? Israel went and sinned before the Lord. While Moses was up on the mountain with the Lord, they were at the foot of the mountain sinning. And what does God want to do? He wants to destroy them. What does Moses do? He comes and he intercedes for Israel before the Lord. He comes between them and the Lord. And he pleads their case. Exodus 32 verse 11. This is Moses. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Lord, save them. You see, Christian love seeks the welfare of others. It intercedes for them. Thirdly, Christian love deals honestly with others. And we must really listen, because in our modern society, this is an issue. Christian love deals honestly with people. Verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart to you. And then he says to Philemon, Philemon, do what's right. He doesn't fudge the issue. You see, Paul doesn't get all peasy and speak in riddles to Philemon. He speaks straight to the issue, but with love. Look at verse 17. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Well, you can't get more straight than that, right? He's not fudging the issue. He's not speaking all around the issue. You see, so much hurt and misunderstanding comes about when people try to fudge the issue today so as not to appear confrontational. Oh, we so hate confrontation. Even for the right reasons. Jesus always spoke clearly and directly to issues. When he spoke to his disciples in Mark chapter 8 verse 21, after they'd been with him for how many months and they still didn't understand, what did Jesus say to them? Oh, my disciples, I love you. Don't know what to do with you. No, he said, do you still not understand? Straight. When he spoke to that woman who had been brought to him, who'd been caught in sin, what did he say to you? What did he say to her? The Lord bless you and keep you. No. He said, woman, go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, that's fairly straight. Yes? You see, Jesus didn't fudge around the issue. The only time he seemingly, and please hear me, he seemingly fudged, the issue was when the crowds rejected him and he spoke to them in parables and, parables and riddles that they couldn't understand. Why? To bring judgment on them. You see, you and I can't read hearts as Jesus did. So we need to speak in love when there are issues we need to deal with. I'm going to give you an example of this. Jude chapter 1 verse 22 to 23. I spoke about this last week, very shortly. But I'm going to expand now. How do we deal with people in love? How do we deal honestly with others in love? Well, Scripture tells us how. 
You see, there are three reactions when we confront sin and we need to speak about it with a fellow believer. Here it is, Jude chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. So what are we, how are we to show love to those who doubt? We are to show mercy to them. We, we come with them and we speak to them, but we show mercy because I am just a sinner like you. Others, we, snave, we, we snatch them out of the fire. Others, there's no time for talk. You see your brother in trouble. You see your sister going into sin. You snatch them out of trouble. You go there. You go to their house. You say, hey, this isn't right. You snatch them out of the fire. And then there's a third one. To others, you show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. What's this talking about? This is talking about when you've confronted someone about sin and they deliberately carry on. This is when you start having nothing to do with them. And you treat them as an unbeliever. They need the gospel message in their lives. Do you see? How to confront people honestly. By not being honest with people and having this she'll be right attitude in life. We actually show that we don't love them at all. Think if you just left your children to do what they wanted. And you didn't confront them as you should. Do you love them? No, you actually hate them. We actually show we don't love them. And because we don't want to rock the boat, we try and keep the peace. What are we thinking about? Our own comforts. We need to speak honestly and openly with love to people. We have to discuss with them. Because then they will not be useless before the Lord, but might become useful again. Like Onesimus. We need to be honest with people when necessary and for the sake of mutual accountability before the, before the Lord. And that might mean that you part from people for a while because their egos have been hurt, because they couldn't quite handle what you were saying. But it will be for the benefit of them in the big picture. Does that sound harsh? It's part of Christian love. Sometimes we've got to just be straight about it. But fortunately, it's not all. There's a fourth point here. Love bears the burdens of others. This is where you've confronted your brother and your sister. Now you get alongside them. It bears the burdens of others. Paul was willing to take personal responsibility for any debt that Onesimus had gone into. He said, write it up to my account, Philemon. I will pay it. See, I write here in my large hand. And he, we know historically he couldn't see well. He had short-sightedness. And so he writes with large letters... I owe you, Philemon, on account of Onesimus. How far are you and I willing to go for my brother and sister in Christ? Are we willing to bear their burdens when it starts costing us real money in our pockets? When it starts costing us real time? Are we willing to bear the burden of my brother and sister in Christ? That's real Christian love. And when they go into sin, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 to 2 speaks about this. When they're going to sin, am I willing to stand alongside them and to come with them before the Lord? Pray with them. Walk with them through the issue until they get through the other side. That takes time, tears, and love. 
And then fifthly, love doesn't just bear the burdens of others, it believes the best of others. You see, Paul was confident that, that Philemon would do what was right, even though he didn't command him to do so. He urged Philemon, Philemon, do what is right before the Lord. He placed full confidence in Philemon. You see, today we, we tend to have very cynical attitudes in life. Uh, maybe it's just me. You look as if you're happy with life. But we tend to get quite cynical about people, and we, we develop this glass-half-empty attitude about expectations when it comes to people. However, the Lord calls us to love people, which means trusting the good He has put in their lives too. The Lord is not just working in your life, He's also working in someone else's life. It's His love. And we need to expect the good in them as well. And people often rise to the occasion when the expectation isn't just to get hammered every time they do wrong, but rather to be encouraged for doing what's right. You'll know that with your children, right? If you keep hammering your children every time they do something wrong, instead of encouraging them to do what is right, every time you, they become negative and you become cynical. What did Jesus do? What does He continue to do for you and I? Does Jesus know that we're going to keep on sinning day by day? What does Jesus do? He loves us. And when we sin, He forgives us. And what do we do? We sin. What does He do? He loves us. And He forgives us. And what do we do? We sin. And then He loves us. And He forgives us. And what does that do? It builds us up in Him. And now He says... Go and do likewise to your brother and your sister because that's true Christ-like love. You see, when you're loved, it urges you on to give of your best. If you love the Lord, you want to give Him your best. So what do we do with this? Well, here's a so what. Did Philemon welcome Onesimus? Did he forgive him and set him free? Did he show him Christian love? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say so. So we don't know. But, historically, there's an interesting record here of a man named Onesimus who became bishop of Ephesus in the second century, some 40 years after this letter was written. If Onesimus was a young man in his late teens or early 20s when many of these slaves were taken into employment, when Paul wrote this letter, it's possible that he could have been this bishop who is spoken about in historic records, age 70. Perhaps this is the same Onesimus, the unprofitable slave whom Paul led to Christ and Philemon pardoned. Maybe. We just don't know. But what can we learn from this interaction? We can learn this, and I'll put this shortly and simply. Firstly, Sinners can change. Sometimes it might be you to someone else or someone else to you. We can do terrible things, whether it's in words or electronically. We can say terrible things. And when you've pressed send, she's over, Roba. You can't take it back. 
And you think, oh, if only I'd kept that a little bit longer. If only I'd shown more Christian love. Well, sinners can change you and the person who's wronged you. We can change. Why? Well, we know that in spite of Onesimus' sins, the slave who stole and ran away from his master, God got hold of him in faraway Rome where he thought he was getting away from his trouble. And God saved him there and then sent him back to his master. Do you see God's plan? He was doing it for Onesimus and for his glory. God could change him. God can change you. He can change me. He's in the business of changing sinners. Secondly, forgive me should be close at hand. When you're speaking about Christian love, forgive me should be words that are very close at hand always. You see, Paul, Paul couldn't remove Onesimus' legal obligation to return to his master. Even though he told Onesimus, if you can, forgive him. Onesimus still had an obligation as a slave to his master. He had to still go and do what was right to his master. He had to still go and face his master. He had to ask for forgiveness and then bear the consequences of whatever might happen then. You see, too many times today in our modern society, we take away those consequences and it's a form of hatred because people never learn. I've seen it when I've had uh, restorative justice meetings when I used to be an assistant principal. Everyone is dancing around this person who's done wrong, except that person. They just sit there. Everyone else is making plans about how they can fix things up, except the person in the middle who's done it. True love allows consequences to happen. And then we get with that person. You know that when you've brought up kids, right? If you keep taking the consequences away, what happens? You start breeding up there a little terror who will do just what they want, whenever they want, and they won't listen to anyone because they've always just got what they want. Thirdly, Christ changes relationships. Yes, there might be hurt and mistrust, and there might have been hurt and mistrust between, between Onesimus and Philemon. We're not told of it. But Paul was urging Philemon, Philemon, do what's right, and we will all be encouraged as the church reads this letter, as they hear the letter, as they get around you, Philemon, we will all be encouraged when we see how God works in this situation. You see, Jesus can heal relationships. He brings healing. He brings restoration. He reconciles, not just people with God, but people with people. Are you having issues with a brother or sister in Christ? Take it to the Lord in prayer. He heals people to people. And whether you, Colossians 3.11, whether you're Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, those differences exist. It doesn't matter whether you're educated, uneducated, whether you're Maori, Pakia, whether you're South African, even Zimbabweans. The Lord can heal differences between pale, stale male and millennial. Man, I hear that all the time. You 50s are over it. Get out now. It's our turn. 
The Lord can heal the difference between pale, stale male and millennial if we allow him in to that situation. Why? Because in Christ's church, Christ is all and in all. His love to us and in us should cut across any division, any disagreement, any hurt relationship. No exceptions. He brought slave and master together. He brought prisoner and captor together in Paul's situation in prison. And then lastly, if we want to show true Christian love to each other, maybe we should vouch for each other a little bit more. What do I mean by that? Vouching for someone's dangerous because they so often let you down, right? You stand surety for them. You get in behind them. You guarantee them. I've done that before. I've burnt my fingers. Someone will be all right and then they let you down. And then they let you down too. In others' eyes. You see, Proverbs says, Proverbs 6, 1, don't be surety or put up security for either friends or strangers. What's it talking about there? It's talking about business, money. Be careful when lending money to friends. However, this isn't business. What is this? This is soul business. We see the Apostle Paul vouching for Onesimus to the point of offering to pay any outstanding debts. And so, yes, we must be careful when we vouch for others, but sometimes it's the way God uses us to bring reconciliation and restoration to those others when we help them up again in life, when we vouch for them. A human soul is worth the risk because Christ died for my soul. Christ died for their soul. And so let's show them this Christ-like love. Christ vouches for us every single day. He stands surety for us before God's throne. And He has given His very self to redeem us. Why would I not put myself at risk for my brother and sister in Christ? Do it. How's all this possible that we've been talking about this morning? It's found in verse 25. Have a look at it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. How's all this possible? Only through God's love, His unmerited love poured out on you and I. And then we in turn show that love to my brother, my sister in Christ. And when we do, His name is glorified and the world sees there's something different about these believers. What is it? Lord, use us for your glory, we pray. Show us what Christ followers are and, what to, and how to have Christ-like love for each other. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you that because of your grace shown to us, because of your grace demonstrated in our own lives, that we can show a Christ-like love to those around us. Thank you for this record in your word of this letter between Paul and Philemon. Thank you that it shows us what it is to be radical in our love. 
to go against the conventions of the society around us and to show a love which is sacrificial, a love which is contrary to what society shows, a love which is Christ-like. Help us, Lord. May the love we show to each other show Jesus Christ to the world who needs to see your love in action. Use us, we pray, for your glory. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.